We thank you, Father, that his dominion is over kings and kingdoms. Lord, he's even aware when a sparrow falls to the ground. Lord, nothing in this world, nothing in our life happens without the awareness, the divine awareness of your son, Jesus Christ. We praise more than a savior this morning. We worship him as Lord. As we open the Bible this morning, God, we do we we confess to you that we need the contents of it. We need a message. We need a fresh word as your Holy Spirit would apply it to our life. So, Father, help us be prepared to receive the word and to do what your word leads us to do today. We thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf that we could have eternal life in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus on the scene. I know this could be a could be an entire series, um, but it's just going to be a standalone message this morning. One moment where Jesus was on the scene. What happened as a result of him being there? The main the main story that we're going to look at is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter five. Um, but you'll also, if you look in the cross reference of your Bible you'll see that this story is also told by, in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. It's found in all three of those gospels. Though there are some differences in the story, some, some of the gospel writers, some of the evangelists highlight different aspects to this miracle. Um, when we read all three of them, well, we get a better, a better idea, a more rounded understanding of what was going on that day. And, and for you, I have, went ahead, I have gone ahead and read all three of those accounts, and I'll be interjecting some of those three accounts for you this morning as we look at the main one in Mark. And I chose Mark um, because of the three, his seems to be the most comprehensive. His seems to be the one uh, that has most of the details. He covers many things that the other evangelists um, don't cover. But let me, just, let me just share something with you that if you do go home... <clears throat> and you choose to read the account in Matthew chapter 8 or Luke chapter 8, what you'll find in Matthew especially is that Matthew records two men instead of one. Mark records one man who was possessed by a demon, while Matthew records two men that were possessed by demons. Jesus healed both of them in Matthew, and in Mark he healed just the one. Um, but some people may say, well, that's, an in, that's a moment in the Bible where the Bible contradicts itself. There are some that, that try to use incidences like that to prove or to try to uh, advance their cause of saying that the Bible invalidates itself by its contradictions. But let me just tell you, if, we were, if service was over this morning and we were all walking out to our cars and we heard tires screeching at this intersection and we saw three cars at this intersection run into each other, if I asked Barry what happened and Barry said I saw two cars that were in a wreck, I asked Jose what happened, he said I saw three cars that were in a wreck and I asked Lisey H. and she said, well, I saw one car that was in a wreck. Would, would any of those be false? They would all three be true because there was one car that was in a wreck. There were two cars in a wreck and there was three cars in a wreck. Nobody was lying. Nobody was being deceitful. But in Matthew's account, his story recalls two. So obviously there were two there. But yet in Mark's account, he only notices or focuses on one in the story. So it's not a contradiction at all. It's just two different perspectives from which they recorded the story. 
But I do want to read, if you haven't got your Bible study in this week, you're going to get it, okay? We're going to read through the Bible this morning just once. I mean, we're going to read through the entire Bible, it's going to feel like, um, just here Sunday morning. Chapter 5, Then they came to another side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met Jesus out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Roman Legion had as many as 6,000 soldiers. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain, so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, and there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and the country. Then they went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to them who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he, had been, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. The story. No, no wonder, okay? No wonder this story is told in three of the four Gospels. A lot of action. Awesome, exciting story. Jesus, at this moment in the Gospels, had already crossed the sea. Um, the, the moment that happened previous, the miracle that had happened previous was that Jesus had sent his disciples out. He came walking to them on the sea, calmed the waters, uh, calmed the storm by his words. And then after the storm was calmed, they came to this place where he meets this demon-possessed man, or in Matthew's account, the demon-possessed men. I think it's interesting um, in this story that there were several requests. Some were answered and some were not. And I found that to be, to be peculiar. But notice what happens. Once Jesus shows up on the scene, the Bible says that the man came running to him and began worshiping him. The Bible tells us that he was possessed with as many as 6,000 demons. The, the Bible tells us that there is such a thing as a demon possession. And those 6,000, at least 6,000 demons that were inside of that man were, were terrorizing him. They were, they were truly turning his life upside down. And what I love so much about this story is this is, again, one of those few, rare, beautiful moments that we find in Scripture. 
This is one of those moments that when we grab a hold of it, we want to spend time basking in it. I mean, we want to hear this story and we want to look at this one major beautiful element and thank God that we have these accounts in the Scripture because though this story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what Jesus did is incredibly rare. What Jesus did when He came to the shore is so rare, I can only think of less than a handful of times Jesus did this. Jesus did this thing in John chapter 5. Jesus did this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 when there was a widow who'd walked in the funeral procession. In that casket was her son. In that casket of the widow in Nain was that woman's life. And the funeral procession was going down the road and Jesus happened to be walking by seeing that funeral procession going down the street. He walked at the head of the line, had them stop, reach up, and raise the widow's son to life. Took him out of the casket and presented him to his mother. In John chapter 5, Jesus was down at the pool of Bethesda out around Jerusalem. And as he walked down there, the Bible said that there was a man who had been infirm for many years, laying by the side of the water, waiting for it to be stirred so he could dive in to be one of the first ones healed because the water had a healing capability when God touched it. Jesus went over to him and said to the man, do you want to be made whole? Of course, which the man said, I have no one to put me into the water. Jesus touched him and made him whole. You see what this story has in common with those other two is that Jesus showed up on the scene and interjected himself into the situation without an invitation. Think about this. The man that was laying by the pool never cried out. There's no record at all in the Gospel of John that Jesus ever said that this man ever cried out for Jesus saying, hey, come and help me. Nowhere in John 5 does it say that the man said, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Come over here and heal me. That never happened. There's no record at all in Luke's gospel that the widow ever said, I wish the Messiah would come and raise my son to life. This is a moment where the, the demon-possessed man didn't even want Jesus there. He did, not only did he not come by invitation, Jesus wasn't welcome there. And why this is so awesome, why this is so beautiful, why it is so incredibly rare for us to find this gem is that Jesus showed up in a place not because he was requested, but because he was moved by compassion. There was a need. If you're taking notes, we're on the first one this morning. Jesus put himself in that situation without an invitation. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus prefers an invitation to work. Jesus prefers an invitation in our lives. Jesus prefers an invitation in our marriage. The invitation represents a submission on our part. It, re it represents us saying, God, I need your help. But if Jesus Christ is Lord, as I believe he is, and as the Bible teaches, he doesn't need an invitation to do something. He doesn't need my permission to get right in the middle of my life. Think about this. Jesus, if your marriage is messed up, Jesus doesn't need an invitation to get right in the middle of your marriage. And if you think about it, it's always been that way. 
We sometimes begin to think that God needs me to invite him into my relationships. I need God to invite him into my church. No. If you think about it, go all the way back to the very beginning. Go back to your spiritual timeline, that moment that you first trusted Christ as your Savior. Go back to that spiritual Facebook movie when it says you joined, okay? Go back. See, what I did there was I grabbed something in popular culture and brought it down. If you think about it, the only way we could call out to Jesus was when He had already done the work in us. To show us of our lost condition. He had to show up in my life. Without my permission. To show me my need of him. To bring me to a knowledge that I needed him as my savior. It was always that way. But somewhere down the road. We start to think well. If God's going to do something. I've got to ask him to do it. He's Lord. He, He can do whatever he wants to. Whether I invite him in. Whether I give him permission or not. And I'm thankful for that. If God only acted in my life off of my invitation, I would be a miserable, miserable man. He acts in my life with or without my permission because of His compassion and His love for me. That's how God works in this story. He showed up on the, on the shore. Why? Because there was a need. Why? Because 2,000 years later, you and I would be going through troubles and trials and difficulties. Why? Because we would be struggling under the weight of the world and the forces of darkness. We would be struggling with sin. He showed up on that shore, not just to heal that man, but to remind us that He is the God of all creation. He doesn't need that man's invitation. To get right in the middle of his business. He doesn't need yours or mine either. I want you to see the second thing. By the way, he inserted himself into our situation when he was born. We weren't all hollering for him. We weren't asking for him. He came on his own. Second thing. Jesus demonstrated power over creation. If you notice. Verse six. The man possessed by this great amount of demons came and worshiped him. James 219. Tells us that the demons also believe and tremble. They believe in God. They know he exists. They know who Jesus Christ is. They know what his power is. You see, I read an interesting commentary the other day. It said the demon's work is so awful. The works of darkness in regards to Satan and demons is so awful because of their hatred for God and their envy of man. Hatred of God and envy of man. Now you see, think about it for a moment. The Bible tells us that you and I are lost naturally. We've sinned. We've earned separation from God. We've earned death. But God, out of his love for us, says, you know what? I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to die in your place, humans. 
I'm not doing it for elephants. I'm not doing it for, for parakeets. I'm not doing it for monkeys. I'm not doing it for institutions. I'm doing it for you. You're the only ones. I'm not even doing it for the angels. The Bible tells us the angels that sinned, sinned, were reserved unto chains into everlasting darkness. No opportunity. Redemption to them is an unknown quantity. They don't have it. They don't have that privilege that God has shown us, the pinnacle of his creation. I want you to see this man's condition. Verse 2. There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. Tombs in that day were hollowed out places, oftentimes in mountains. This was where the man or the men, according to Matthew, lived. This was where they took up residency. We should also notice the great closeness, the proximity that the forces of darkness have to the appearance of death. I want you to consider this man's situation for a moment. If we're truly going to look at what Christ did in his life, we have to look at where Christ met him. We have to look at the inventory of what was going on in this man's life. We all know that sin costs us. We all know that we lose something. There's a transaction that takes place when we sin. But I want you to notice what this man's condition was. Look first, he lost his family. There is no record of this man outside of another man in Matthew's account having his wife or his children around. This man, if he was of family age, he didn't have anyone around. There's no record of his mother or his father if he was young to be there taking care of him. This man lost his family. He was running around naked, the three Gospels tell us as we read all three of them. He came out of the tombs naked. That's why, that's why Mark says he was sitting clothed and in his right mind. What a contrast. This man didn't just lose his family, but he lost his dignity. He also lost his home. Now he's not where he, where he belongs. He's out of step. He's not where he should be. He's finding that the only refuge that he can take place is in his home. He's losing his mind. He's running around cutting himself with stones. He is under such a tremendous influence by these workers of darkness who want nothing more than to destroy him. And he also lost his autonomy. It appears that this man was barely able to control himself, but was at the whim of the enemy. At the whim of those at least six, as much as 6,000 demons that were living and dwelling inside of him. One can only imagine the torments that this man endured, knowing that he had lost his family, dignity, home, losing his mind, and now was to the point of losing his autonomy. But I want you to notice something, guys. Please let your ears be open to this. This one man. 6,000 demons. At, as much as. Living inside of him. Jesus shows up and this man. Worships him because he can't get past the fact that Jesus is God. But then the demon speaking through the man. Say what are you doing here? We don't want you here. Does Jesus bristle up? No. Does Jesus get angry with the man? Does Jesus start saying, well, you know what? You shouldn't have gotten yourself in this situation in the first place. Does Jesus say, you shouldn't have opened yourself up to the works of darkness. You, man, shouldn't be sitting here like this. No. Jesus doesn't accuse him. Jesus doesn't start a fault-finding mission on how this man got in this position. Jesus just treats the problem. 
he, with love and respect, deals with this man where he's at. How do we do it oftentimes as Christians? We often want to go on a, fa- on a fault-finding mission. We want to start saying, well, if you hadn't have done this and you hadn't have done this and you hadn't have done that, you wouldn't be in this problem. We often become very defensive in those type of situations, but Jesus never did. They said, we don't want you here. And Jesus said, you know what? Get out. His word. His word. Get out of here. Such powerful words. Friends, can I tell you something? Don't you love it? That when you come to Christ, when you're lost and you come to the cross of Calvary and say, God, I need you as my Savior. Do you know what he says to your sins? Get out. Do you know what he says to your condemnation? Get out. He doesn't say, well, you've got all these that you've done. Now you shouldn't have got yourself in this mess in the first place. Jesus treats us with the utmost amazing love and respect rather than going on a fault-finding mission. Rather than bringing accusation after accusation, he knows we're guilty and he says, get out, condemnation. He treats the problem. You know, If you and I had done what the prodigal son had done. We probably would have been grounded. We most definitely would have lost the keys to the car. We probably wouldn't have gone to prom ever. Did you ever notice that the father of the prodigal son never beat the child? Never punished him, actually threw him a party. And I've wondered about that as a parent. Why didn't the father punish the son? And I have to believe that the father didn't punish the son, didn't start accusing him. Obviously, he was glad that he was back, but I have to believe that the father realized that the son's decision punished him enough. That him being so far, realizing that that punishment took place when he was in the pig pen. There wasn't anything that any discipline the father was going to do would have taught him a better lesson than what his own experience had taught him. We serve God who is high and holy, awesome and powerful. He is mighty and majestic, but he is loving, compassionate, and tender. The power of Jesus' words over creation come out of the man, unclean spirit. Come out of the man, unclean spirit. That's all it took. Why did Jesus ask his name? Because he wanted everybody to know what kind of forces he was going up against and how easily he was able to send them packing. By the way, let me just throw this one little caveat in this morning. There were three forces at work in this man's life. The first one we see is Satan, forces of darkness, trying to control and doing a good job of controlling and ruining this man's life. The second force at work was society. Did you see them in the story? They knew that this man had problems. What was their remedy? Chain him up. This man's, this man's gone off the deep end. Chain him up. Let's tie him down so he's not a problem. He's not a nuisance. 
The third force at work in his life was the Savior. Satan, society, and the Savior. Do you know why the Savior was able to work when nobody else was? Because society's plan was to only work from the outside in. You see, society couldn't get what the real problem was. They could only try to contain him. Jesus transformed him from the inside out. Notice the third and final thing. Jesus' miracle caused an altercation. Altercation might be a little bit of a strong word. You might have picture in your mind as a, watching an old western in a bar fight. That's an altercation. Um, this was more of a disagreement. This was more of a, of a heightened situation, we would call it. Um, this wasn't quite maybe an altercation as we would know. But I want you to notice what the people did. First of all, you may be wondering if they're Jews, then why are they raising pigs? Good question. Who doesn't love bacon, first of all? Second of all, this region that this took place had been colonized by the Romans 60 years before Christ. So it wasn't just Jews. There were also Gentiles that lived there. Of course, the Roman colonies. Um, it is quite possible that some Jewish people, though maybe not eating pig themselves, eating pork themselves, could have been raising those pigs and such a large amount of pigs to help uh, provide food for the Roman soldiers. They were probably, that could have been even their job was to raise those pigs for the Roman soldiers. Or it could have just been Gentiles, who knows, that were raising the pigs. But what we know is there were 2,000 pigs and they go running down the hill. And what happens, the first thing, after those demons run into those pigs and run down the hill, run down the hill fall into the ocean and die, the Bible tells us that the people who were watching the pigs ran back to town. Do you know why they ran back to town? Anybody. They were covering themselves because it was their job as pig herders or swine herders to make sure that the pigs were safe. And now all of a sudden, the flock goes from 2,000 to zero. Somebody's got some answering to do. So as soon as they go down there, and I'm sure they pick their jaw back up and put it where it belongs, they turn and run into town, no doubt find the owners of the pigs and say, wait a second, we have some bad news and worse news. Which do you want first? The bad news is the pigs are dead. The worst news is the guy who did it's still there. Okay, that's how it would have been reported in the town. So everybody comes back out. The swine herders, can you imagine them? Yeah, that's him right there. He's the one that did it. Can't you imagine how that thing went down? And the swine herders and the owners and the people, a crowd comes back. And the Bible says that they look and they see the man whom they knew. They had seen him. They knew him. He was in that area. They see him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. A totally different appearance to this man. And when they see him clothed in his right mind, they ask Jesus, to leave. Jesus' miracle caused a problem. You may see in your digging deeper through the weak questions. Peter once asked Jesus to leave in Luke 5. Jesus told, or Peter told Jesus, get away from me. I'd encourage you to look up that question on your bulletin and 
Think about it through the week. What's the difference between the two? Do you think they asked Jesus to leave out of humility? That maybe they didn't feel worthy that this great miracle worker would be there in their midst. It doesn't appear like that. Maybe they, were, they asked him to leave because they were afraid. That's possible. That's highly probable. They just saw that he had sent 2,000 pigs down, or sent the demons into the pigs and sent the pigs down the hill and died. They're accusing Jesus. They see that he had the power over that. They see that he was able to change this man. Maybe it was that. Or maybe. Or maybe. They were angry that he had killed or overseen or played a part in to their, their mind the loss of their entire herd. I want you to think about this for a minute. What a tragic scenario. The real miracle is that this man was healed. But they couldn't get past the fact that the man was healed. They only saw what they lost. If that's the case. You see, Jesus always causes an altercation. Sometimes in our own soul. When God says, Jamie, you're doing something that I don't want you to do. Jamie, you're doing, you're sinning in this way. And he makes it clear to us. And God says, I love you more than that. I want you to change that. You're, this is hindering you from looking and living and walking like me. Jamie, I want you to deal with that. You know what? When the Holy Spirit reveals that sin to my life, causes an altercation do i yield to what god is saying do i yield to his word do i do what he says or do i hold on to it and battle against it the bible tells us in the new testament the apostle paul said the spirit and the flesh warred against one another does christ causing an altercation in your family in matthew chapter 10 jesus said a man's enemies will be they of his own household son will rise up against father Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and you know that's an altercation. <laughs> Seriously. What's Jesus doing in your life that's causing a stir in your home? Dad, are you, are moms, dads, kids, are you, are you following the, the teachings of Jesus to the point that it's causing a stir around the supper table? Causing a stir around the television set? Students, are you causing a stir, an altercation in class? Just because you're living out what Jesus called you to do, is it causing a bit of an altercation? Not disrespect, but an altercation of the people around you. Are they looking at you saying, man, he's stirring it up. You know what? The early church turned the world upside down. The early church turned the world upside down. Why? Because of their loyalty to Jesus and his teachings. Are we as, a Christ, as Christians, are we causing an altercation in the world? Not for altercation's sake, but for truth's sake. We call ourselves a Christian nation. Do we continue to look like it and resemble it? We're never going to grow as a Christian nation if Christians don't grow in the image of their, their Savior. That's our problem. Jesus showed up on the scene. Wasn't invited. But out of compassion's sake, He intervened. Jesus had power over creation. The same words that calmed the sea sent those demons packing. And Jesus' action caused an altercation. 
I encourage you to read the book of Acts this week. Realize how often brothers and sisters were imprisoned. Not because they did anything wrong, but because they did right. This morning, what's your decision? What's God doing in your life? I know He wants to work. I know He longs to work. I know He doesn't need your permission to work. Are you going to let Him? Are you going to agree with God? Are you worried about causing a stir in your job or in your home? In your workplace? Your school? Are you just going to say, God, I'd rather be obedient to you and loyal to you than let the chips fall where they will? What's your decision? Do you know Christ? You can have a brand new life, much like the one that this man had sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The Bible tells us in 1 John that he, for this reason, Jesus was manifested, that he may destroy the works of the devil, that he may overpower the works of darkness. I'm going to pray with you. If you have a decision this morning to make public, salvation, baptism, rededication, yielding to God's Spirit this morning, I pray that you would make that a reality. Father, this morning I know we care about a lot of things. I know we're tempted to care about what other people think about us. We're so easily influenced by so many other things other than your Son. This morning I pray for this next few moments that the only thing we would be concerned about, the only thing we would care about, is you. Lord, if there are souls here this morning that know they're not saved, They know they're not a Christian. This morning, I pray that you would reveal to them their need. The only way to heaven is through your son, Jesus. And that today they would say, God, I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. I believe you died for me, and today I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for the newness that is ours in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.